Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to this historic launch of Reasons to be Grey Eye, a work in progress. Um, in almost every way, I am the least qualified person in this room <laughs> to be standing here. Um, but I won't do it for very long, so uh, don't worry. Um, uh, in a moment, I'll be handing over to the experts. But I am delighted that it's happening here. Um, as this company, Grey Eye, and the writers and theatre makers uh, represented in this book are the sorts of activists, visionaries, and artists that our culture and this place, the National Theatre, needs more of. Perhaps, therefore, it's appropriate that someone so unqualified as me is kicking it off as well, because I think the book is for me as much as it is for the community that it celebrates. It's also a deep personal pleasure, um, because The Solid Life of Sugar Water um, was one of the first shows that I invited into this place in my time as director here, and it will always be one of the highlights, not of disability art, but simply of great theatre that we've had on these stages. So the first time I met the famous Jenny Seeley uh, was on a London Arts Board panel in 1482. <laughs> Anybody remember the London Arts Board? Um, and I was immediately bowled over, <coughs> bowled over by her humour and her fearlessness and quickly learned to respect her candour and her perception. In her company, I learned to think before I spoke. Her very presence was an introduction to um, a level of awareness that my privilege on many fronts had kept me ignorant of. Since then, uh, at regular and well-timed intervals, uh, she has appeared in person, uh, <laughs> or inc increasingly on Twitter, <laughs> Uh, often at moments of my greatest overconfidence uh, to keep me humble. Uh, in truth, it's a task that she's probably bored with. Uh, and I imagine that many of the folk whose work is recorded in this book might have preferred not to have been lumbered with the duties of educator, activist, representative, ambassador, uh, whilst going about their chosen craft of simply being excellent storytellers. But collectively, the work they do, you do, the work they did, the work also now being taken forward by their rebellious children, uh, work that in this book is illuminated for posterity and for the inspiration of everyone, is of immeasurable value. I salute and thank Nabil Shaban and Richard Tomlinson, Ewan Marshall, Jenny Seeley, and all the contributors to this fantastic testimony. That's enough from me. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to hand over to our chair for the afternoon, uh, Daryl Beaton. Everybody. Uh, so we've got about 45 minutes. I've got some questions and then we want to be able to open it up. So um, we're just going to jump straight in. But just 
really briefly, panel, in no more than maybe two sentences, uh, just introduce yourself and your first experience with Grey Eye. Uh, um, I'm Jack Zorn, I'm a writer, and uh, my first experience of Grey Eye was a Grey Eye open day. It must have been about 2002, 2003. Hi, I'm Alison Halstead, I'm a performer. Um, I first worked with Grey Eye at around 2008, and I was a, a, a workshop facilitator. Uh, and that was my first time actually of ever being in a room with disabled performers, and I was scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my name's uh, Daryl I, director, performer, and first started to work with Grey Eye um, under you and Marshall in 96. Mine was, um, I'm Jenny, director of Grey Eye. My first experience was seeing Grey Eye in a tiny, tiny little art centre in Mansfield, and it was the production of Ubu with the infamous Jamie Bedard in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm Nikki Marswood, theatre maker and director. Uh, I, my first experience of Grey Eye was meeting Jenny when she came to see my one-woman show in Edinburgh in 98. That's quite a long time ago. Um, and then from there, going to my first Grey Eye audition not long after. Great, thank you. Well, um, Jenny, I'm going to jump straight in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when I read uh, the book, the thing that comes across the strongest for me uh, was that most people who've written things mention that they were the only person growing up. They were the only disabled person at school. Um, and then suddenly they get to know Grey Eye and the whole world opens up. And people talk about it as a community or a family. But why do you think that is? Why do you think Grey Eye means that much to those that discover it and stay with it? I think it's because there is so little out there. And just to answer the question, actually, it could be answered better. We had an email yesterday from this young student up in Scotland, a young disabled person in this massive mainstream college. He's the only one feeling like really odd, really left out, really isolated. He said, I've just read the first few pages of the Grey Eye book and suddenly my world, I have a world, I have somewhere where I can go, somewhere where I can go and be me. And I think that that is what Grey Eye is, isn't it? We can just be who we are, floor to fuckery, but it's fine. <laughs> sorry, I just... You told me I wasn't allowed to sorry. swear. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. That's so unfair. Right, you're in for it now. Um, but... <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, uh, Nikki, how about you? I think for me it was going to that first audition and realising I didn't have to apologise for needing to sit down, uh, that there were other people that as well had to use a chair. Um, I just felt I didn't have to apologise for being me. And it was great to meet like, kind of like-minded people and people that shared the same barriers for you. Uh, like when I'd done drama before and at university, I always had to sit out at the side of the room because they couldn't make their exercises um, adapt, adapt them in any way for me, make them accessible. Um, so it, 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 for me, Grey Eye, I met people that, and people that had been around much longer than me that had those names in theatre. You know, I met Mandy Colleran. I met Ali Briggs, um, and these are people that I remember watching on the old BBC Two programme from the Edge. So to me, I felt like I was meeting I was meeting some television stars, but people that were from from my background that had that same sort of story as me. So it was really um, enlightening. 
You said yourself, Alison, that uh, the first time you were working with disabled people, did that impact on you politically? Um, politically. Socially? Um, that's, those are big words. I know. Um, well, well, first of all, it's representation. Representation. Um, uh, I, it was a, a new language that I didn't even know that I didn't have. Yeah, yeah. And it was also uh, like a questioning. I could quite, I could ask questions of myself that that I didn't even know I could pose. Mm -hmm. Grey Eye gave me like this space. Also working with other people that uh, had what that were that had disabilities. Mm -hmm. It just freed the freed the room up. Mm -hmm. um, and like I've forgotten your name. I'm so nervous. Um, Nikki. Nikki, sorry. We have met. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. We spent three months in Dundee. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, so also, like, it, it afforded me my own self-acceptance. Like, Good. I can sit in this space now with a stool in a way that before I just would have been like, oh, I'll just make do. Mm. But um, working with this company has has shown me that it's not necessary. Good. And how about? You, Jack, in terms what? of what's the, what do you get as a sense of community or... Um, well, my experience was slightly different in that um, uh, I had, I don't really, it's not quite as severe as it was, but I had an invisible disability that was uh, uh, blighting my life and I didn't know quite what to do and I didn't know quite where I fitted and I didn't feel like necessarily I fit in the disabled community. And I went along to a Grey Eye Open Day and I said that to... Alex Bulmer and Alex said, uh, and actually Tim Goebbels, who I'm so I'm so moved that the book's dedicated to Tim because he was just the greatest of guys, and it's such a tragedy to have lost him. But um, uh, and uh, and uh, Alex um, gave me a slightly awkward hug and said, um, of course you're disabled, and and that sort of, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you know, and that sort of just like you know, yeah, and that feeling has never really left me. And, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and I've worked with Grey Eye periodically every few years, and it's just always been that sort of feeling of just like, you know, yeah, genuinely feeling like you're part of something, you know. Thank you. So, so Jenny, this book <laughs> only really scratches the surface. Um, you say yourself it's not a complete history. We don't want to give the end away. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, Gosh, how did you choose or decide what to put in there? Well, it, it was all a bit random, because Grey Eye is beautifully <laughs> random. <laughs> and, um, you know, we did have the, the absolutely privilege of being able to do reasons to be cheerful. We've got Charles and Derek and Jemima here in our audience are doing it, reasons to be cheerful. I just thought, you know, the reason for who we are, oh, have we got a reason? Is there, you know, really start to unpick where, well, is Grey Eye going to be around in the next 20 years? So I decided to call it Reason to be Grey Eye, and it is work in progress. But I just put out this random email to various people, and those that came back are in the book. And there's many more that didn't come back because time, whatever. So 
there's, there's a whole other book of everybody else that still needs to be done. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to carry on gathering the stories, but we might start making them into podcasts for people. Crap for deaf people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I'm not doing that, actually. <laughs> we'll, we'll work it out. But, um, <laughs> um, so it was... It just started to gather momentum, and then I became absolutely terrified, thinking, oh, my God, I've got all these emails coming, these essays, these bullet points, these academic things. It's just like, what is it going to be? There's been so many people who have helped shape it, not least the most glorious man, Constantinos. You need to stand up and take a bow, please. <laughs> because he... The layout. He did the beautiful layout. He was the one that kept pushing and pushing for us to get it right. And I think we sort of have, haven't we? <laughs> so it's a dip in and out book. It's not academic. There are academic papers in there, but it's not academic. I, I get so many academic books around disability, disability arts, that are impenetrable. I don't understand what's being written. And I knew that I didn't want a book like that. I wanted something that's nice, easy to read, and informative and personal. And I think that's what this is. Thank you. Uh, lots of the people on, on this panel uh, 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 work for Grey Eye off and on and, and work elsewhere. Um, but, uh, Nikki, you've worked in some big mainstream venues now, including the National. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> when I work outside of Grey Eye on projects, I feel that sometimes I have to be that champion that Grey Eye is within the wider, wider, wider field, but also know that I have that sort of, yeah, support of grey eye for thoughts and ideas. And so, do you feel like a torchbearer? I mean, how does it, how does it work for you, working with others? How's? <laughs> um, I think it, I think it depends on where you take that work. And I think me as a disabled woman, anyway, it is truly part of my identity. And I know that when I go to certain venues, as working as a director or an assistant director, there's only so much I can do before I tip the scales too much. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's really interesting because when I was here, I was assistant director to Rufus on Mosquitoes in the Dorfman. And I was really trying to change how they wanted to do their caption performance. I don't know if you were aware of this. <laughs> I wanted to get away from the bog standard stage text. And as we were using mon six monitors in the show, I wanted to have the captions put on there. But I was told it wasn't allowed. Anyway, I lost that battle. Um, but I'm working now, and with Amit as well, up at Manchester Royal Exchange to actually have sign language interpreters integrated into performances. Because they used to be uh, filmed, or they were up in a room doing interpretation, and then that was projected into little monitors. So we're really champ trying to champion getting interpreters actually on stage at the exchange. Um, so we're trying to solve that and also look at interesting ways that they can start bringing audio description into their performances as well. Um, 
And I think it's just, I think having worked so closely with Grey Eye um, and understanding the importance of accessible performances, so that you're not just limited to go and see them on one particular day, I think I take that into my own work as a theatre maker. And I'm going to be directing The Tempest in the summer up at uh, the Royal Exchange, and I've already said I want a you know, sign language interpreter integrated into every show and looking at having the audio description done by the young company that are there. So it's about, I think that's how I'm going to start um, influencing the next generation of theatre makers as well. And I've done it recently at the exchange with the young company show Mixtape, where um, we, were, we needed a sign language interpreter quite quickly. So I got someone I knew, Becky Bowie, that does a lot of work with Grey Eye, came up and we spent an afternoon and just thoroughly integrated her into the show and got some of the young company uh, learning sign to integrate it as well. So you, I, I think you kind of, you you slowly try to make change. You can't go in there like a steamroller and make it all happen at once. You have to carefully pick your moments. And I think that, you know, that learning through grey eye is never going to leave you. It can't because you're doing it for your mates as well. A lot of your mates need sign language or they need audio description. So it's about how, how, why would I make work that they can't come and see? Thank you very much. And uh, Jack, in the book, you talk about um, uh, writing, sorry, yeah, writing without casting implications and then casting without writing implications um, in terms of how you approach your writing um, with Grey Eye. But then that sort of changed. Can you just tell us a bit about that process? It was quite... Oh, I can't even remember what I wrote. I um, can't remember uh, what you wrote. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it was around with sugar water. It was only after... Yes, like, yes, food, yes, yes, yes. There's Amit at the back. Um, uh, um, yeah, the... the, the uh, yeah, the, when we started working on the show, um, uh, we decided to just find the best two actors we could, uh, which we then did, and they were amazing. And um, Genevieve happened to be deaf, and we originally were like, let's not reference this at all in the scripts. Let's just see what it feels like without referencing it at all. And we got to a certain point when it felt inauthentic. And so we just started working it in, and it just it just was transformative to the show and made the show a lot more powerful uh, than uh, than I'd written it. Um, and uh, um, and yeah, but I mean, as the sort of um, uh, I, I mean, I mostly work in mainstream. I don't, you know, uh, it, it is a battle, um, and um, uh, and uh, I'm probably as not a good a warrior as Nikki, um, uh, but just that thing of just kind of trying to, that when you have auditions, that, uh, trying to at least identify some parts where you can have disabled actors in to, to, for the roles. It, it, it's happening, but it's happening very, very slowly, and I'm sorry it's not happening faster, but yeah, yeah. That's okay. I do feel it's my responsibility, actually, and I'm not quite getting there yet, but I'm trying. Well, it's, as always, it's a shared responsibility. I think uh, yeah. what Ruth said say at the start, you know, there's different levels of activism yeah. across, it, across it all. And yeah. it's when those all join up into one force that makes a change. But, but I think that's like the importance of Grey Eye as well when you talk about casting, is that thing that now I can... I, my office is next door to the casting director at the exchange. So there's very many times me and Amit will go in and bombard him with ideas of people that we think they should see for the next, you know, for next season. So I think, and, it, and it's... 
because of this big family of grey eye, we get to know people, we get to know those actors, those writers, directors, designers that are out there. So it's, it's, it is that thing of keep pushing it. It's really hard. Mm. It's really, really hard. But I think, you know, we have to keep on. Mm. Make that change. I mean, it's interesting because I think uh, in, the, in the book also, uh, Nabil and... Um, Richard talked about in the early days that they were aware that the uh, that their shows may have um, uh, what is it what did they say verged on um, voyeurism in terms of having disabled people on stage um, and uh, well a do you think that still exists today and b um, uh, has I suppose what What's your biggest difference you've seen in, 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 in the life of Grey Eye, if you were to look? Well, I think um, the fact that Rufus is auditioning deaf and disabled people now and the, 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 the National headed up the, uh, what was it called? Well, uh, loads of disabled people have been filmed doing their monologue, so their CVs are there. So there's a lot of activism within the NASH. And um, we've also got Ramps on the Moon, which is big productions working with more deaf and disabled people. And I think that there's still those, those directors out there that just still say, Jenny, don't you realise that it's much more palatable if you don't put a handicapped person on the stage and it's played by someone normal so that the people, the audience, don't feel uncomfortable. It, that says much more about that director than it says about the audience. I think audiences are up for it. And the more that we're out there and doing our stuff, the more it becomes... Uh, you know, it becomes more commonplace. So it's slowly changing, <laughs> but not quick enough, actually. We, we did Thuppany Opera, and we were at, I can't remember where we were, do you? Can you remember where? I think it might have been Leeds or Birmingham, <coughs> Leeds, and all the actors were outside busking. Cast gets on stage, and this woman um, sitting next to her, who happened to be an Arts Council officer, this woman turned to this officer and said, oh, we need to get front of house. We need to, um, the, 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 the disabled people that are out there busking, they're on the stage. <laughs> Let's get rid of them. And then the, the, the on overture starts, that's the right word, and then the red curtain comes down and John Kelly starts singing. And this poor woman goes, oh, <laughs> got it. Brilliant, I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't talk about Grey Eye without talking about um, the rehearsal process of Grey Eye, which can be, uh, it can be frantic, it can be fun. <laughs> uh, Alice is not that keen on it. Uh, <laughs> that's what you said in the book. I did. You did. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, well, actually, on that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you do sort of say uh, in, the, in the book that during rehearsals, you wanted to stop sort of like playing games and looking in the mirror and actually get on with the text. Mm -hmm. Um, and, <laughs> a drawing note. Um, and, um, and also having worked with you as a director, you can be quite forceful in that uh, rehearsal room. And so I just wondered, um, uh, uh, well, A, are you looking, thinking of being a director soon? Because uh, of your forceful habit in the rehearsal room. And B, um, what is it that... Because you talk about meaty roles when yeah. you work with Grey Eye. I'll, I'll answer the second okay, part. OK, answer first. the second one. 
Um, Jenny has cast me in two of the biggest roles of my performing career. Um, I was in a Blood Wedding and um, I was in House of Bernarda Alba. And um, I was also privileged to work with Catherine Hunter. She was Bernarda Alba. And it was at the Manchester Royal Exchange, um, a theater that I had wanted to work at. And honestly, because um, opportunity doesn't always come, um, when Jenny cast me in the roles that she did, I, did I, I had difficulty seeing myself in the parts. And I just had to trust her eye and her sense of me as a performer and um, do my work. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, working with Jenny has afforded me the opportunity to see myself in a different way as a performer, fuller, rounder, more humane. Um, like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. Like, I say, <laughs> um, the other parts that I got did not take this in, you know, my, my sex and gender did, into account. And this woman casting me in these parts, um, it was a gift, truly, truly. Um, so yeah, directing, yeah. no. No. <laughs> Because I wouldn't want to be in you know, you'd scare me too much. Um, um, there's also a quote in this from Milton Lopez that says that he's been playing zip that boring in every woman <laughs> the last 10 years. So that's the only game I do have. <laughs> well, what do you want to, when, you, when we enter, you enter the rehearsal process, what, what, what's your main aim? What do, you, what do you go in there thinking, I want this? the people in the space and the space to be like, what? What is it you want to set up in order to make people be as creative I as have, they can? The only thing I know is I iron all my pyjamas ready for rehearsals <laughs> and then the rest takes care of itself. I, I, I swear to God, the, it's the weirdest thing. The weeks leading up to rehearsals, you've got your script, then suddenly the words just go blah, 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 and I can't read them anymore. A bit like this bloody book by then, wasn't it? Cause I thought, oh, my eyes were bleeding by then. But just if you've got the, the thing I love more than anything is casting. And I love my creative conversation with my creative assistant director, associate director, like Nikki and I and Amit and I have had some meaty, meaty conversations. And then we don't see each other just before rehearsals. Everything just goes into this weird, you know this as a director, goes into this weird sort of no man's land. And then you start. But in your gut, if you've got the right cast, you're fine. Because I'm afraid I'm not one of those directors that blocks that you move four steps, play the line, cross your arms like that, and then smile. Don't do that. Say, right, do something, and then I'll see what I like. <laughs> it's true, isn't it, Stephen <laughs> Kellen? You all know me. Just, just do something. That is one of the best days, you know, a gesture that comes along a lot. Just actually. give me give me something, and I'll tell you if I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of... It, it, the art has to come from the actors in the same way. They are the people that the cast dictate, or inform, rather, the essence of the access. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to have it like this, like this. No, your cast do that. But if you know, you know that that's what you want to explore, and you get the people that are really up for exploring it. I mean, think about all the different things we've tried with Bernarda, a million different things. We still didn't get it right, but we got more right than we got wrong. 
But it's that, that exploration, it's just it's gold dust, really. We're so lucky to do it. And I think as well with that, like having worked with you on Blood Wedding and Banana Rama, um, <laughs> that it, you, you do cast really well. And then it's that thing when you get into the rehearsal room and it is what those people bring to it. And also the access that's in that room at that time. That helps to tell the story as well in a, in, a, in a more interesting way than what you could ever perceive before you get into that rehearsal room. Because people bring stuff to the table with that as well. Yeah. And I think it really it, it, it builds those characters and it builds the text and the shape of the story that you want to tell. <coughs> and you do have lots of pyjamas, that's true. I agree. <laughs> and it's the same really with this book. This is all a play on Braille. Try and still have that sensibility of it's not it's not accessible to a blind um, a blind reader unless it's on jaws, but it's it's still linked. So the the, the layout is just being beautifully beautifully considered, and just sorry I'm going off no, message, no, no. but but uh, the, the other thing for you to know is that Audible. Sorry, I'm just naming them because I was so pissed off <laughs> that they wouldn't fund the audio book of this for blind people, and because the aesthetic of this is so lovely, we had to have something. So we have um, a group of us, Amit, Stephen Lloyd, Jude, me, other people, have Alison, you've read some, various different people in the room have read bits, cha chapters, they're not their own, so I'm Jenny Seale, I'm reading for. So we've created a most beautiful audio file. Rosanna, are you here? Yeah. She's there. <laughs> she, Madam over there, little studio in her front room, did it. She nailed it. And it was glorious, actually, to read it. And funny and terribly moving. I started to cry. There's a quote in there, Bradley. It said, and thank you, Bradley Hemmings. And I said it, and I burst into tears. Ridiculous. But anyway, you're in the book, Bradley, a lot. But um, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Um, so it's in the cloud. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> so have a listen. Um, one more question before we uh, open it up is that it's something that gets uh, talked about um, a lot within, uh, within the work that we do uh, for Grey Eye. And you sort of mentioned in the book about, you know, are we ever going to get to a point where we've got a fully, produc fully accessible production? where the, it's absolutely perfect. And you sort of say, you know, is this possible or does it even achievable? Um, uh, yes, yeah, so my question is sort of, um, why do you think it is that, uh, that there is an openness to that sort of, oh, we got it? Because like, for me, for Grey Eye, Grey Eye is quite good at sort of saying, that didn't exactly work quite right, let's try this. Why do you think there's that attitude within the company? Um, but we haven't achieved perfection because we no, haven't. No, but that's sort of put your hands up going, oh, that didn't work. Oh, we'll try something different. I think as we, we are trying to create a theatre for a very, very diverse audience and everyone's learning styles or communication styles or receptive styles are so different. And it's like, you know, you get it right and then think, oh, 
oh, that's really not going to work for a deafblind, well, you know, deafblind orders. We haven't even gone there. We're, going, we're there now. We're, we're doing some work. But it's like there's a whole other, other world that we still haven't, mm. we're not there yet by a long chalk. I mean, the co I think in that respect, the company will always need to exist because it's a company that's curious, really, really curious to find out what is it? What is it? And that is absolutely the foundation. That and complete equality and no compromise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the company may become smaller, but then we're going to actually, no, we won't become smaller. We, we're going to have grey eye sisters, we're going to have grey eye university, we're doing big stuff, <laughs> we have to. Um, but it will be a moment where people don't, grey eye won't be the first place people have to come to. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine, as long as it, it will always be a place for lots of people to come to who are curious about disability, even though they're not disabled. So it's a home for lots of people. So hopefully it will exist forever. That's perfect. What a way to end. Thank you. <laughs>